think about, you know, what you're collecting, what you're writing down and making sure, you know, making sure we're using that to make help make decisions, especially in, gosh, what's hay now, $300 a ton. Um, and, you know, just the cost of the cost of doing business. I mean, we're seeing it in our track numbers. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming soon. Now you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. Welcome to the Beef Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brandy Buzzard, and it's my pleasure to bring you the trending issues and topics with the best and brightest minds of the beef industry. Today, we have Dr. Ryan Rose, Associate Professor and Beef Extension Specialist at Colorado State University, where he is responsible for developing, prioritizing, and implementing innovative statewide beef extension programs based on the Colorado beef industry needs. He's also worked closely with several state and national beef industry organizations to assist with strategic planning and the development of producer training tools. Dr. Rhodes, his wife Jacqueline, and three children live in Wellington, Colorado, where they own and operate a small direct-to-consumer beef business called Elevation Beef. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rhodes. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're very excited to have you here. This is a, We haven't had someone on to talk about these specific um, segments of the beef industry, so I'm excited to learn more from you and hear what you have to share. Just to start off with, can you give our listeners a little background on yourself more than what I just shared, and then how you got involved in the beef industry and, and kind of your journey or path so far? Yeah, sure. So I um, won't go back too far, but um, went to grad school at, at Texas A&M. And my first job out of grad school was um, at the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. So I was faculty uh, there for almost, almost seven years um, and then took a, took the job here at CSU. Uh, I've been here as the beef extension specialist in the state of Colorado for um, going on six years here now. Yeah, so really enjoyed my time at the King Ranch Institute. Um, I'm sure everybody is aware of that program, um, a very unique program, one of a kind, one of nothing like it in the world, really. Um, and so it was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, and so learned a lot about, uh, you know, systems and, and large ranching and um, got to rub elbows with some of the, uh, gosh, the brightest minds and managers in, in the country. And yeah, so brought some of those skills and, and um, skill sets to, to CSU here and trying to do some things in, in Colorado. And then I guess I should say, we, we also, you, you mentioned it, but we, um, we also, uh, as soon as we moved to Colorado, we started a um, direct-to-consumer uh, beef business. And so we sell quite a bit of beef down the front range of Colorado, and we ship all across the country. Um, we do a, a Wagyu Angus um, program, and so that's been that's been a lot of fun, too. So uh, I figured if I was out telling producers, um, you know, kind of how, how to do things or, or giving suggestions, that I better do it myself, too. So um, we jumped right in and... and have really grown that business quite a bit. So, Well, that is a fair point. Um, and I think you're right that most people will have heard about the King Ranch, King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. Um, I recently, and maybe last year, I you know, before the pandemic, I visited um, the King Ranch and just was blown away by just the sheer magnitude of all the different businesses and the size and just it's really hard to grasp just how vast that the whole operation is. I can't even really call it an operation, but it's so much more than that. But it's really hard to grasp how big that is until it, like you're right there and you see it. So that was definitely an eye-opening experience for me. So I was there for seven years, right? And I probably saw 5% of the place. Um, it's just, yeah, so it's just massive. <laughs> that's that's an impressive stat. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned your direct to consume your family's direct to consumer beef business. And um, I think a lot of people have gotten direct to consumer beef in the past couple of years. Can you tell us more about your business? Make like maybe how long you've been doing it and what like what prompted you to do that? Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, several things have to come together to, to put something like that together, obviously. Um, uh, one, it was um, so most of my research through grad school at Texas A&M was on Wagyu cattle and why they marble the way they do. And so I, I just had this sort of love and interest for the breed. I mean, they're just different in the way they do things. And, and so I just admire the breed and love, you know, just high quality beef, right? A good eating experience. Right. Um, and so I had that sort of background in Wagyu cattle. And then um, when we moved here, a couple of things that made sense is one, 
is if you're going to do a direct-to-consumer business, usually um, it's nice to have a, a fairly large market out your back door. And so the front range, there's a lot, a lot of people. Um, a lot of people make good money down the front range, um, especially in Denver, in the Denver area. Um, so location was a big part of it. We had, a, we're in a good spot here in terms of marketing. And then the, the the other piece you have to put together with that is you have to have processing capability. Right. And we're we're also lucky here that gosh, I've got five or six, and there's a couple new ones being built currently. Um, processing facilities, USDA inspected processing but within 50 miles of here wow um and so we're in a really nice spot now it's still is it still hard to get dates oh absolutely because there's a lot still a lot of demand but we are in a really good spot from a from a, a processing capacity and a market there's a good market here and uh i mean it's it's a great place to r- raise cattle i mean f- the feedlot industry evolved here right and so um you put all those things together um, and then I just have a passion for, you know, high quality, high quality beef. Um, we just jumped right in and it just made sense to, to get going. And so I started with, I started three years ago with um, seven head, um, just, you know, trying to test it. I would encourage anybody that's going to do it. Just, you know, you don't go all in right away because you got to, there's too many pieces to the puzzle to figure out. Right. Um, and so you just kind of put your foot in the water a little bit. And, you know, once you get the the processing figured out, um, then, you, you know, then you got to get cold storage figured out then you got to get marketing figured out. And so we just kind of slowly kind of evolved into it. And so we started with seven head um, three years ago, and now we're up to 120 and growing probably faster, faster than I um, care to. Honestly, I could sell um, twice that much. I just don't, I don't, the other challenging part is one, I have a job, full-time job. Yeah. <clears throat> and then two, um, just the capital, um, capital it takes to grow a business that fast. Um, yeah. So I just, you know, just kind of stuck, kind of sl- growing slow. So, um, but yeah, 120 heads, a lot of direct to consumer beef and the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. But um, to me, it's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of freezer beef to move. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So was uh, was your entrance into that market, and you say you've been doing it about three years, was that due to the pandemic or you guys got into it before the pandemic? No, it was it was before the pandemic. And, um, you know, we didn't, I don't know. I mean, everybody claims, I think a lot of people jumped into it because of the pandemic, but we didn't really see that big of a, a boost because of that hmm. um, necessarily. Um, we So we started as, and this is interesting because everywhere I go, this is what people want to talk about too, right? Because um, everybody's, <laughs> I, I was at a conference the other day, giving a presentation, we got to this point. And I, there was, you know, 50 people. And I said, raise your hand if this is of interest to you or you already do it. And every hand in the room raised. Wow. Yeah. And so this, I mean, this is a, yeah, everybody's interested in it. But it is a, I would, I would encourage you to do your research because it is a, it is a challenge. It is a puzzle to put together. Every day my phone rings with some bad news, right, of something. Um, and so you just have to be prepared. Yeah. for all that. So no, it wasn't pandemic. We, um, we started, uh, as, as, um, uh, selling quarters, halves, holes, and that's how I would encourage anybody to start. Right. Um, cause <clears throat> one of the biggest challenges I can sell steaks all day long, right. But it's the trim. It's the other 60% of the carcass that's hard to get rid of. Um, and if, if the person that figures that piece out wins this game, mm-hmm. um, and, and so it, you know, so it took us a while to figure that out, but co- selling quarters, selling whole beef, you know, gets, solves that problem initially yeah. um, because you get rid of everything. Uh, But then we later, you know, it's a wholesale, that's a wholesale deal. So then we later evolved into more of online presence and steak boxes and that sort of deal and then became a trim. Then there was a trim problem Um, and then just, you know, made some connections. And now we we've solved our trim problem and we actually go through a wholesaler and in Denver again, because of where we're located and a lot of our products go to the mountain resorts and, you know, Elway's Steakhouse and all those kind of places. That's awesome. Um, and so it's, yeah, so it's, that's, it's just evolved into lots of different things. And I would also encourage people, to, like, you have to be willing to change, change your model always. Because um, it, it just, you have to adapt to, to new times. So What you're saying is, um, I completely agree with all that. We also sell freezer beef and we had been doing mm-hmm. it a little bit before the pandemic, but we legitimately did see like a huge jump in demand once the pandemic hit. And I can remember the day that it was like that first weekend, what, like the middle of March of 2020, when everything was going to shut down. Like I called the, um, I remember going to the grocery store and seeing that people had already freaked out and were hoarding things besides just toilet paper. And so I got home and I called the, our butcher on that 
like the following Monday and got as many appointments as I could. And um, Iris has grown since then. We do not sell the cuts the way that you do. We we have not wanted. I also have a full time job, and we have not wanted to like jump to anything more than the the halves and the quarters and the holes. But we've definitely seen an increase in that demand, and it's stayed on now that we're kind of transitioning out of that um, uh, out of the pandemic. But it is um, it's a whole different business than raising cattle for you know for selling bulls or something you know, or for the commodity beef, like it is a different bear with different marketing strategies and things like that. And so like, we could sit here and talk for an hour about that. And I would not be and I would love that. Um, but that's it, what I tell people is like, if you think about getting into this, it is a different, I mean, we all know how to feed cows, right? That's what we do. Um, but this is a whole another skill set that most, to be honest, most ranchers just don't have in their back pocket, right? Um, for, for instance, and I tell everybody this too, that one of the smartest, so how I went from seven to 120 fairly fast was the smartest thing I ever did was partner with somebody that had their expertise was marketing. Uh-huh. They knew nothing about cattle. I don't need, I don't need somebody to help me feed cattle. I know how to do that. Right. Um, what I, what I needed was somebody to help me with marketing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the biggest piece of the puzzle is, you know, we, we're classic. We'd get caught in the day to day stuff. We like to fix the fence or we likes to, you know, go break ice or whatever. It's just the day to day stuff. And the key to this business is the marketing. Yes, absolutely. And so I would encourage I would encourage folks to if you're going to, you know, go partner with somebody that doesn't do the same thing as you. Right. Mm-hmm. They're good at something else. And so that's that's really how you grow a business. So that's great advice because you're exactly right. We get not even only in the freezer beef, but like in our ranching enterprises, we get kind of focused on feeding the cows. So like the stuff that has to be done every day. Mm-hmm. And there's other things that have to be done to grow any business. And it's hard to get out of that cycle or to yep. think outside of that. So you mentioned some advice is that like partnering with people who have different skill set strengths. Like what has been your, you said capital has been a challenge. Has there been anything else that's been a major challenge? Like how many are you sending a hundred and some head to the same processor? Or are you having to spread it out because you just have that you have so many that you can't get enough spots? I, I mean, every step along the way has been a challenge at some point, right? Um, and so, yeah, start with uh, start with processing, but start with genetics at the very beginning, right? Because um, that's really where it starts. And in my world, everybody everybody thinks that hey, I can throw a wagyu bull out on some cows, and I've got this this great product, right? What the people don't understand is there is as much variation quality and in, in quality in wagyu breed as there is in any other breed from top to bottom. Um, and so. That's one. That's a lesson I learned the hard way. Is genetics are huge. I mean, it's very, very important. It's not just who has a Wagyu F1 cow I can buy, right? It's right. you really have to focus on the right genetics because I had a set. I had a set that you know fed for 450 days um, and should have graded you know prime plus 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 plus, and and they weren't even choice, and they oh, were right. Wagyu cross cattle. Yeah, and so that's. I mean, that was the hard lesson of of man genetics really are really important and you got to get that dialed in from the very beginning. So we're past that now. Uh, yeah. So processing was, was a big challenge. Um, I bounced around from, I mentioned, you know, we got five or six different ones in the area. I'm sure everybody's had this challenge. Um, it, it, a lot of times you go pick up your stuff at a processor, you never know what you're going to get. Um, and so that's, that's true here too. So finally we got to a scale. And I think that's the important part. You know, at first we were taking one, two, three, four head a month, right? Right. Um, and still doing all custom side, but I finally got to a scale. Now we're doing 12, 10 or 12 a month. Um, and so we we were able to get into a bigger, a larger processor on their commercial side. Oh, wow. And so I, um, yeah, again, we're in a good area. I, I couldn't, you can't do this everywhere. Right, right. And so now all I got to do is call two weeks ahead of time and get, to get a date. Um, so I can get a date pretty much whenever I want, but you got to get to that, you know, and that's not big scale, but you have to get past that two or three or four yeah. at a time. Um, to be able to do that. Uh, and so that was, man, that was, that was a breakthrough right there was, was getting on the commercial side. Um, now the flip side of that is it added a step in my process. So they only take it on the commercial side. They only take it to the sub primals. Okay. And so now I got to take sub primals and get them cut into steak somewhere else, but it's just, you know, just one more step in the process. So, right. Uh, so that was really the biggest challenge, the biggest hurdle to get over. Yep. Yeah. That's phenomenal to, to just be able to pick up the phone and call and have a date in two weeks. I, uh, yeah, it's not quite that easy, but it almost, yeah. Well, yeah but, but like 
as a contrast, we, um, we really have amped up how much we do. I bet we probably maybe do maybe 20 head a year, which is a lot for us because mm-hmm. we, like I said, um, when we got started doing this before the pandemic, we were maybe doing like four a year. And so 20 is a big jump, but I call, I set a calendar reminder. So on January 3rd, the first business, <clears throat> the first business day of every year, I call and reserve spots not for that year. So like I already have all the 2023 spots. I did that last January. So like January 3rd, I will call and I'll do all the January 2024, like all 2024, because I love our local butcher. They're awesome, but it's like a small local butcher. Right. And so they fill up in no time. And so they'll let me, they'll let me do like the first six, sometimes let me do the first six months of the year. And I have to call like on June 1st to do the last six and sometimes Penny, shout out to Penny, will let me do the whole um, the whole year. But like it's a it's a, a strict thing because if you don't have anywhere to send them and they're ready to go, you know it, things it makes it really difficult. So that's in that right. That's the hardest part of this business is matching supply with demand, right? So and so figuring out cold storage, we turned our garage into a, a giant freezer. Wow. Um, and then we outgrew that, um, and, and so now yeah. So it's just it's every piece is a, is a hard part to figure out. So, yeah. That's very cool. Well, you're, you guys are quite the success story and, and I don't doubt that you are going to get continue to get more questions when you're as successful at it as you have clearly been. Um, it's no wonder that people want to talk to you about it for a long time. Um, but I want to transition because in your, in your intro, you were talking about learning about systems. And I think that like at the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management, you were talking about systems. For those of us like me, who don't have much experience or knowledge around systems-based ranching. That's a phrase that seems very complex. And I'm hoping that you can break it down a little bit for both myself and our listeners. Um, yeah, sure. So, gosh, I, I mean, it starts with, and we all know this, right? It's it, Ranching is extremely complex, right? Um, so if oftentimes I'm given a presentation or whatever, I have this slide and it has a picture of wildlife and it has a picture of a computer and some data. It has a picture of um, uh, marketing, has a picture of cattle at markets. It has a picture of you feeding cows, right? So think of all the different things, all the different components that are involved in a ranch, right? I and mean, people think it's easy on the outside, right? But we know that, that you, you know, you start breaking it down and there are a ton of pieces in the, uh, in the puzzle going on, right? Yes. Yes. And so, so it, because it's so complex, right, we, we, we need to think in terms, and I think most people naturally are systems thinkers, you just don't know it, right? But, and there is a process to systems thinking, we can't, we don't have time to get into that today. But that's, you know, if you want more training on that, you go to the King Ranch Institute lectureship, right? Um, but if you, uh, so we're all naturally systems thinkers, but um, we, we have to think a lot of times, you know, if you push on if you push on this button over here, um, we don't oftentimes think about the unintended consequence that it may have over here, right? Um, for instance, you know, and this one comes up in our track data. For instance, like I, I see a lot of folks put a lot of pressure on, man, I need to have the highest weaning weight possible, right? So I can go to the coffee shop on Saturday morning and brag about how big my calves are, right? Um, but what you don't think about is what did it cost you to do that? Right. Um, and so, and that's what I mean. Like, so we, a lot of times we'll push on this button over here, but we don't realize in the big picture in the system, what, what it's really doing to the bottom line. And so systems thinking, I mean, taking a systems approach is simple. It's just, you know, instead of isolating one thing out, it's thinking about the unintended consequences, thinking about the big picture, Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in a nutshell, that's what systems thinking is. And so we've got these, you know, we've got these loops and these diagrams that we can put together. And but it's just a way of, of kind of organizing your thoughts and putting it on paper and telling a story and just explaining, you know, accounting for more things than than what you realize. Um, and so, yeah, it's probably not a very good definition of it, but that uh, it's, ranching is complex and we need to think in terms of systems and how if I do this, how does that affect? the big picture, right? Is basically what we're talking about. Right. No, I think that makes perfect, perfect sense. Cause while you were talking, I was thinking about like three things that you had talked about with direct your freezer, like the direct to consumer business. 
that were an example of that. So like you were mentioning that you got up, um, that you upgraded it basically to like the commercial plant and that was great, but like pushing that commercial processing button, mm-hmm. then you had to take it like the other, the not consequences, the wrong way, but the outcome of yeah. it was mm-hmm. take the subprimal somewhere else to get cut. So like that, I think that that make, when you lay it out like that, that makes perfect sense for our operation. It made me think of, you were mentioning me weaning weights and we sell bulls. So like heavy weaning weights is a big deal and heavy yearling weights, obviously those are big deals. But like, so for my mind, I went to, yeah, you want to have heavy yearling weights and weaning weights, but how much money did you spend on feed to pump into those cows to get those big weaning weights? So I think that was a, that was an excellent description, at least for me to understand exactly what you're talking about. I think that made perfect sense. Okay. So Dr. Rhodes were there when you were discussing, um, the systems-based approach, you mentioned track, um, that you've done there at Colorado State, which is the total ranch analysis for Colorado. Can you speak more about that analysis and research? Um, there were a lot of outcomes of that that, su- that kind of surprised me, but could you give us some background on it and maybe what was the biggest takeaway from you for you? Yeah, so um, most of the listeners maybe have heard of a program called SPA, Standard Performance Analysis. It was developed by NCBA, the IRM program back in the mid-90s, several states, uh, Texas, Iowa, South Dakota, several several states have over the years implemented these SPA analysis programs, and you've maybe seen some data data from those. Um, I I learned about it um, when I was in Texas, and um, a colleague, uh, Stan Beavers, ran a very successful program uh, in Texas, New Mexico, and a little bit in Oklahoma. Um, he probably had the largest uh, kind of ranch-based data set that there was. Um, he did it for 20, 20 plus years. Um, so anyways, the the standard performance analysis was developed. Um, it's been used over the last uh, 30 years here and there. Um, and when I got here, uh, so I should probably back up. I've, I've got my background is a combination of, uh, you know, just basic systems beef production. Plus, I also have quite a bit of um, ag economics training. And so I'm always looking for ways to to merge those two things. And, you know, our ranch analysis program that combines financials and production is a is a just, you know, great way to do that. Um, and so that's kind of my skill set to begin with. And then when I first got here, we did a a needs assessment with producers in Colorado. And so we sent out uh, 3,000 surveys and got back almost 1,000 of them back. So we got some really good data back. Um, and so I should also back up. I'm, I'm, I'm one, there's one of me in this state as a beef extension specialist. And so like if Nebraska, for instance, there's 20, 30 of them, right? Um, it's Kansas, same thing, right? And so this is a big state. We have 13,000 producers. Beef is an important thing. Um, and so when I got here, you know, there's 9 million different things you can do to help these folks. And so we thought, hey, let's ask them what's really important. Um, and so we got that data back and a couple of things came out of that. Um, one was it was very clear that that they know how to feed cows. They don't need help with that. Right. Um, what they really need help with was was the financial part of the business. So business management, it was clear that that was the number one priority of producers across our state. Um, financial meaning, um, you know, cash flows, uh, cost of production, you know, just things like that. Debt, whatever, you know, financial related things you want to talk about. So just help with business management. And then the follow-up question to that was, um, okay, so... Uh, how much, you know, what, what kind of data do you routinely collect? And it was everything from body condition score to preg rates, right? And everything in between. And we said, do you, do you routinely collect this data? And 40 to 80% of those folks said, yeah, we routinely collect that data. And you can imagine, you know, everybody's got their little red book that they put in their front pocket, right? Everybody writes everything down. I mean, religiously that's, and this is another story for another time, but um, we all write this stuff down, whether it's on a big cheap notebook or your red book, right? Um, We write it down. Um, But then the follow-up to that was, okay, do you know your break-even costs within 10 cents a pound? And 65% of those folks said no. Now, you can argue whether 
was that 10 cents a pound too tight of a number or do they just not know their break even? And I would say as I travel around doing this for folks now, that it's closer to 99% of folks don't know their break, their true break even costs. That wouldn't surprise me that if you're at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we're just not, which it's all a system, right? So if you don't know those things, that's obviously why you need help with business management and financial things, right? Yes. Um, so a light bulb, right, went off. So we got, so they want help with business type stuff. They, they write all this stuff down. They've got all these records, but they don't use them. They don't turn that information into wisdom to make decisions. Yeah. That's basically what all that is saying, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're like, hey, we, there's a program that kind of, does this for folks, right? Um, we can we can help with this. We can um, we can do this. And so that was one thing. And then the other thing was is when I first got here, I'm traveling around um, talking about you know production and financial numbers with producers, and I'm using Texas based numbers. So I'm going back to Stan Beaver's work in Texas. That was really the best benchmarking data there was out there. Well, we know that those costs are very different in Texas than they are in Colorado. And so it wasn't very accurate what I was, you know, telling folks. And so I had no benchmarks. I had no data here in Colorado. So it just made sense to start a program that helped folks, you know, figure out their financial management. And we, and along the way, we're also developing benchmarks for, for other producers around the state, right. Or around the region, around the country, whatever, however you want to look at that. Um, And so there was already a good foundation in spa. We took spa and we, we, we kind of figured out over the years, you know, kind of what was wrong with that and why those programs died. And we've tried to do those things uh, differently and better. Um, and so that's pretty much the basis for the why track started was people just need help organizing their stuff. And I had no benchmarks to, to use in this state. And so here we go. We started it and we started that three years ago. Um, we just finally we just finally published the first benchmark report. We finally had enough data to publish a report. Um, and so now we've got good benchmarks for, for Colorado producers. Yeah. I, I, I've been skimming through the report um, last night when I was, you know, like when I told you that I was getting ready to speak to you, I was skimming through it. And the, the amount of data is just really phenomenal and overwhelming. And it's interesting that you said that, um, so many producers, you know, we all write things down. We have these books or we have spreadsheets or we have cattle management apps on our phones and things like that. And the, the saying, you can't manage what you don't measure popped into my head because I feel like in so many other industries and areas of like, of our work, um, people don't measure things, whether that be if you work in, I don't know, PR or teaching, I don't, I don't know, but like, it's, you can't manage what you can't measure or what you're not measuring, but that isn't the case here. We are measuring everything, but we're just not taking that. You know, it sounds like people weren't taking that and using it. And what a, what a breakthrough for you and your team there to, to recognize that and, and actually use it and to give people what they need rather than just, Hey, let's just put out this paper about how to feed cows. Cause that's not what people needed. So that this is a really great takeaway of the necessity for this, but also what you are going to provide to people in terms of these business benchmarks. Well, and so I, I would tell somebody like, if you're not going to turn this information into wisdom, record keeping is a complete waste of time. Do something else. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that story for a later day. Right. But um, so, yeah, think about, you know, what you're collecting, what you're writing down and making sure, you know, making sure we're using that to make, help make decisions, especially in, Gosh, what's hay now? Three hundred dollars a ton, um, and you know, just the cost of the cost of doing business. I mean, we're seeing it in our track numbers, right? Um, just just since twenty nineteen, um, we we have to get more efficient. We have to get better. We have to get better at our financial management um, moving forward, or or you know, these places are not going to survive. So, no, you're you're speaking the truth there. Um, what was the so? Thinking back on your analysis, what was like the biggest surprise for you? Was it that people were collecting all the data but not using it, that they needed help with like financial management and that kind of thing? Or what was the biggest surprise that you took away from all the data you collected? The biggest surprise? Um, no, I mean, 
I think, I mean, we kind of knew based on the needs assessment that, hey, all these folks, these folks have all this stuff, right? They have it all written down. It's just a matter of taking it and and organizing it and putting it into a process to spit out some some metrics and measures that you can kind of track over time, right? Um, the biggest surprise, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, so, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I guess, I guess the, probably the biggest surprise would be just the vast. So in our data, what we do is we take the top 30% and the bottom 30%, right? And a median. And so I guess maybe the biggest surprise is just the vast difference between um, the, the, for whatever metric you want to talk about, the vast difference between the top 30% and the bottom 30%, um, whether that's profitability, whether that's the, the difference is just enormous. And I guess I wasn't expecting that big of a difference. Right. Um, but it also, I mean, that suggests that, man, there's some folks that are, that have got this figured out doing things right. Right. And there's folks that, man, there's a lot of room for improvement, which is, which is okay, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I could see how that would be shocking to see those numbers between the top and the bottom and the bigs between. Yeah. Based on maybe based on the track data or just your own personal opinion. Let's go with your own personal opinion. Knowing all that you've done with working at the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management, as well as your work at Colorado State as a beef extension specialist, what, in your opinion, is the biggest challenge that cow-calf producers are facing today? Um or maybe not that they're facing, but the biggest challenge to cow-calf producers. Um, so, and this kind of ties into, I'll, I'll say this is a challenge, um, but also I would say that the biggest difference between that top 30 profitable group and the bottom 30 profitable group. So a challenge for some, and it's different for everybody, right? Um, the, the challenge is different for everybody. Uh, back to that complex system and that big puzzle that we're trying to put together here. Uh, so I've, the biggest difference I see is, especially here in Colorado, um, and we've been through some historic droughts over you know the last 20 years, is, is really matching, matching stocking rate with carrying capacity and making sure that you're making sure that you're fully, I mean, I got to be careful here because I'm not I'm not suggesting people overgraze, right? That's not that's not at all what I'm saying because right. we have to protect our resource base. But but I see a lot of folks that are challenged with just maintaining, you know, the appropriate amount of inventory, whether that's cows, whether that's stockers, you know, just fully utilizing their resource base at the time. And and the challenge because because of these weather patterns, right? And so we're always if it's too dry, we're liquidating cows. And then how quickly do you, how quickly do you come back from that when it does start raining? And so the biggest difference I'm seeing in profitable versus non-profitable are the folks that are appropriately stocked to their carrying capacity. Those are the folks in the top 30% usually. And there's a ton of reasons for that. Um, and the biggest one is, and I don't know how far you want to go down, but the biggest one is this idea of, again, we're back to ranching. What is a ranching business? We have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of assets. We have a lot of fixed overhead costs, right? right? This is the thing people don't understand. Those fixed costs, those fixed assets, those overheads are hard, really hard to get rid of. And we accumulate all these things over time, right? That we need, that we think we need for to do ranching. Um, and so the only way to reduce that cost is inventory, is to spread that overhead that fixed cost over more units, right? Because again, these things are hard to get rid of. And so you have to spread it over more units. Yes. That makes and so sense. as you can imagine, as, we, as we're fluctuating inventory and we're not fully stocked, what happens to our fixed cost structure? It goes, it goes out, our cost per cow goes way, way up, right? Oh, yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's one example of why it is so important to to match, you know, stocking rate with carrying capacity and make sure you're fully stocked. And, you know, we're, we're encouraging folks to, and a lot of folks are already doing this, but um, a lot of people think, man, it's either cows or stockers, 
right? There's no in between. It doesn't have to and, be and really, the other. Yeah. And so really what the, again, back to the most profitable places are, are a little bit diversified in terms of their enterprise mix, whether that's 70% cows, 30% stockers, right? It's different for everybody, but there's, there's a mix of enterprises, which allows them more flexibility to weather those inventory adjustments, right? And those changes. Um, and so again, that's, that, but that is a challenge. I'm not saying I'm not saying this because it's an easy thing to fix. It's it's a very hard thing to do. But it, just the idea of matching stocking rate with carrying capacity is probably the biggest challenge producers take, and it's all, also all related to weather, obviously. Right. That makes perfect sense. And that statement you made about people thinking they either have to do cow calf or stockers, I think that I mean that really hits the nail on the head. We, um, my husband and I, our operation, we did have done a couple turns of stockers the past three years because we. We are fortunate to live in a rainy part of the United States, even when other people have been like our drought has not been as like we still have got a bunch of rain in the past month or something like that. So it's coming back. But yeah, like being able to to do both of those to make sure like if you're especially if you're paying for grass on a per acre, whether you I mean, if you're paying for your grass on a per acre, you're going to use you need to use it and putting it to use on stocker yep. one way that we were able to um just take advantage of that. So I think that's a great point to share with people. Um, You mentioned uh, whether ranching is profitable or not profitable. So I have to ask you, you have made the statement, um, you know, we asked you like, what's a statement that you might think people would disagree with? And you answered, ranching is profitable. So I would love for you to expound on that about why people would disagree with that. And I guess give your counter argument. Well, yeah. So uh, I think... The general consensus, right, if, if you're talking to, to most ranchers, is that at best, it's a break-even business, right? And that's kind of the mindset that most folks have. Um, I, so, I, I mean, we have data. We, we have the data to prove that, you know, in, it, just in our area here, Colorado, and the producers we're collecting data from, that ranching can be highly profitable if you do, you know, certain things correctly. Um, and, it, you know, it starts with, you know, having the right enterprise mix for one um, and, it, you know, utilizing your resource base to the, the fullest. Um, so, so we have, I mean, there was a spread between, we think, so our two profitability metrics and track are total ranch net income, which includes cow-calf enterprise, stockers, whatever enterprises you have, right? So that's not isolating out Cow-calf. We're just talking about ranching is profitable. So ranch net income, the spread between the top 30 and the bottom 30. So top 30, the average was uh, 120, $125,000, $130,000 per year in ranch net income. So that's after expenses, right? Yeah. And the bottom was, um, I think, negative uh, 60 or 70 thousand. So you got almost, you have almost a $200,000 spread between top and bottom 30%. And again, I I can't isolate exactly what that is attributed to, right? A lot of that is just, you know, enterprise mix and, um, but they're doing, they're doing the things, those profitable places are doing all these little things correctly, right? So they, you know, they're, they're matching stocking rate. They don't have a bunch of stuff. They don't have a bunch of overheads. They, um, are not trying to maybe maximize weaning weight. They're trying to optimize weaning weight. Um, you know, just thinking about they're really controlling their costs and and they're they're getting the most value out of their their calves. That's one metric. The other metric that we use is as return on assets, which includes net income, but also brings your asset base into the equation. Which, if you think about, you know, why places last. Um, uh, multiple generations, really ROA, return on asset, is the key metric that you want to be focused on because that's more about the financial health of the overall business. How are you utilizing those assets? Are you efficiently utilizing those assets, right? So again, classically, our median for return on asset in ranches across Colorado is 0%, right? And so I mean, you could. Oh my gosh, you can sell. You can sell your place. Go put all your money into the bank and get one point five percent return, right? Right. Um, and so, you know, there's some folks that really need to question whether you should be doing this or we need to change some things, right? Um, and this is also why ranches. It's it's really really hard to make it to the third and fourth generation is because these you're not fully utilizing your your asset base, 
you're not building wealth. And then on the contrast to that, we've got we've got places you know above 10% return on asset, which you know in most businesses that's that's a fair that's a fair that's a good that's a good number. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think again, I think we have it in our head that this is a break-even business. And folks, you know, I did it this way yesterday. My dad did it this way. This is the way I'm going to do it, right? It's tradition. This is just the way it is. And I need to, you know, the harder I work, the more I'm going to make. And, you know, all these things that we just, just these paradigms that we have in our head about ranching that that aren't, that aren't true because I've seen both sides. I've seen, yeah, you can lose a lot of money if you don't do all these little things correctly. But if you do put the pieces together, it can be a highly profitable business. So I guess that's, that's, I, I have the data to prove it, yeah. right, that it can be profitable if you do things correctly. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm nodding along as, as I'm listening to you, to, to you share, you know, those, that viewpoints. And like you said, you do have the data to show it. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. You said the generational transfer thing, and it's hard to make it to the second and third generation. And I totally agree with that. And I, I said something on Twitter the other day that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we have so few people coming back to agriculture, you know, and there's a variety of reasons why that, you know, that farms and ranch numbers are shrinking. It's not just one thing. Um, so we want people to take over the ranch or the farm, but it's, it's, it seems as if people don't want to talk about like their experience, like a, maybe a successful ranch that's been able to hand it down are a bit, um, gun shy isn't the right word, but they're just, not they don't want to speak about it because it's too personal like you know it would be helpful to have that information from people like what did you do that helped how did you set up this estate and and unfortunately it's just some people don't seem like they want to share that information and i get it people you want to keep personal stuff to yourself but i do wonder like if if we had more of that information being shared would we have more success in maintaining the number of farms and ranches moving forward instead of seeing like an attrition there. That's, it's just something that, that I've. Yeah. And that's actually one of the neat things that's come out of track is, and we, so we're, we collect data on about 30 ranches across Colorado. And that's, that's really all I, it's just me. So that's really all I have time to do. Yeah. Um, I wish I could do more, but, but we can only get to about 30 places a year. Um, and so I don't know the percentage, but a large percentage of those 30 places, um, what we're seeing is exactly what you're talking about is this has been a really neat program to transition the older generation and the younger generation, get them sitting down at the same table. And because one of the things, you know, I mean, we all grew up on a a place, right? And mom and dad didn't, grandpa, grandma, they don't share financial stuff with you. And so you have, you really have no idea um, going into it, the financial health of, of a ranch, right? And so it's been really cool to see like the younger generation sitting with the older generation as we go through their their financial health and, and the numbers. Yeah. Um, and it's really been a great learning experience for them. And um, gosh, these, these younger kids have great ideas too, right? Yeah. And they have all this energy and all this excitement. And so it's been it's been a great way to sort of have those conversations is to really sit down and, and analyze the data and look at the numbers and um, have those conversations. So that's been, that's been a neat, neat part of it. And, and I'll go back to, again, why, why are places not making it to the third or fourth generation? It goes back to, because a lot, they haven't been profitable. I mean, is a, is a big reason. Um, and so you just, you, I mean, you get to the point where you're just eroding all the equity out of these places and you just continue to borrow on, on the land base. Right. Right. Um, and you can only do that for so long. And so as we're seeing these negative return, on, I'm going back to return on assets, as we're seeing these negative return on assets, you can't do that forever. And that's that's why these places disappear. It's not really a, a want from the younger generation. I think they want to, but it's just, it's not possible. Yeah. And I wonder how much that- Financially. Could, yeah. I wonder how much that could be remedied though, if those conversations are happening sitting down at the table, like what you're talking about yeah, and having those. Exactly. So we, if we can fix it now, um, or if we can do, if we can make some changes now, they'll, yeah, they're better in better position to survive. Absolutely. That's great. Um, good, good stuff to talk about. Um, well, so we covered a lot of things, you know, we've talked about track and systems-based ranching, and we've talked a lot about the direct-to-consumer beef business. Is there any 
thing that we haven't covered that you want to speak about before we get into like, we've got three, I'll say rapid fire questions that we ask every guest at the end. Is there anything that you want to talk about before we go into those rapid fire questions? Um, no. So if I, I, if I was to give advice again, I'm going back to, we, we have to get a, a grasp of our production and financial information, right? We have to use that information, that data to make better decisions moving forward. You just have to, um, if you want your place to survive. And the thing I didn't mention is the other weakness that I see on a lot of places is in order to, um, in order to accurately analyze the information, we have to have a good ranch accounting information system set up from the very beginning. Yep. Um, and so I'll go back to King Ranch Institute, right? So I was there for seven years. Um, accounting was was a huge part of that program. Right? The students going out of there, they all took accounting class. We had accounting lectureships. Um, and I see it now. I, I see the value of that now. And if you ask, I don't know, there was 30 or so graduate students that went through the program while I was there. And almost every one of them, if you asked them what was the most important thing after they've been on a ranch now for a while, go back and ask them what was the most important thing they learned or the, the most valuable skill, it was accounting. It was setting up setting up a good ranch accounting system makes all of this so much easier, right? So you can you, you have the you have good data to analyze, it's accurate, you can make good decisions. And so Again, that's that's a, a problem that I see on a lot of places is is having a good accounting system. So I would encourage folks to to you know work on that piece because um, if the data is no good, the numbers are no good. So having that having that set up is can it be as simple as like QuickBooks? You know, for people who are listening. So for, yeah, so most people are using QuickBooks, and that has helped a lot, right? But I still see, but there's still things within QuickBooks that you can do even better, right? And so what I see a lot of times is, uh, so we encourage folks to, man, you got to treat this ranch as a business, not not as a hobby, yeah. right? And so in a hobby, when you're using QuickBooks, then you're also lumping a lot of your personal expenses and finances into that, right? And so it's hard to, it's hard to pull um, the business out of that. Yeah. And so there's some things, there's accounting things within QuickBooks, even if you're using it, that you can do better to make the ranch analysis a whole lot more accurate. But yes, QuickBooks definitely helps. I'll tell you the biggest, the biggest trouble is, um, is not, is not the financial side. It's the, it's the inventory side. It, when we go to collect on the, on the places is how many cows did you have January one? Uh, well, I don't know. Um, how many cows did you expose, you know, last year? I, oh, I didn't write, I didn't have that one down, right? And so, I mean, we can get to it, we can backtrack into it, or how much feed did you feed this year in tons, you know? So it's really, and all those numbers are very critical to the to the end result, right? Yeah, the inventory absolutely. side. Um, and so really the one we struggle with the most is actually inventories. And so we've helped folks try to get, you know, set up better to, Count your cows here, count your cows there, right? Yeah. Um, it just makes life a whole lot easier. So. Yeah. That well, that makes perfect sense. You again, you can't man manage what you don't measure. So. It is time to our famous three. Okay, here these are. We ask these questions of every guest, and they're not going to come at you rapid fire because we're going to let you answer one before you answer the next one. But. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite beef-related book or resource? And you can't say track as your favorite beef resource, you have to answer. Yeah. Else. So man, one of the best things I ever did and it tied, but it ties into track, um, was, was going to ranching for profit school. And so there's a book, uh, it's called the turnaround or something like that. Um, and so just that, just that book, but that, just that experience, oh. um, was one of the, the best things that, that I've ever, that I've ever done. So, there a um, I don't know if that's a book necessarily, but there's a book that goes along with it. So yeah, that counts. Isn't there a school, yeah. like a class ranching for profit? I feel like I've seen that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They do. I don't know. They do uh, 15 or so of them around the country every year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, th I, I recognize that. The, I mean, I recognize the ranching for profit moniker and I'm, I was pretty mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. So, well, that makes sense. Um, what is your favorite book or resource not related to beef industry that you are currently reading? 
so we read research articles, right? Right. So I don't have a whole lot of time to read books. And if I do, it's like listening to, I don't even listen to books anymore. I listen to podcasts, right? Which is great for, it's for great this for us. <laughs> So I, you know, I can't even, I'm horrible at this. I, can, I couldn't even tell you. I don't have a book I'm reading right now. Sorry. I, it's just like. You don't have to apologize. Research stuff, right? What yeah. your, okay. So we'll transition. What's your favorite podcast right now? I really, I really enjoy. It's called Working Cows. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. And they're, I guess they're four or five years into it. Now they got a ton of episodes and whatnot, but man, they really, they bring some really good guests on and so out of the box kind of thinking stuff. And so that's, that's the one I would, I would turn to. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to check that one out. Um, Okay. And the last question is what trait do you find admirable in others that has helped them reach success? Um, Gosh, there's, probably not one. Um, and this is something I preach a lot too. And I, I see it um, in, in the, the, so there's a difference between excellent managers. I'm going to keep it ranching related, right? Uh, a difference between excellent managers and good managers. And one of them is this idea. And I'm going to go back to systems sort of thought processes too, is just this idea of a, adaptability, Right. Not getting stuck in your ways. What worked yesterday is not going to work tomorrow and being willing, open minded to change because we have to in this in this industry, you have to evolve. Um, and so that that's really I, the, the, a big difference between good, a good manager and an excellent manager is just this willingness to adapt to whatever the circumstances. Right. I think that is um, you mentioned that earlier in the interview, like having to adapt or change is like a, a crucial thing. And I mean, you right. always have to do that. I can't, I don't remember verbatim what you said, but I, I actually made a note of it while you were speaking, well, having to change. And it's such a unique thing in our world too, because people don't like to do that in our world. And so that's, you know, if you are that, if you are of that mindset, it, it's a game changer. Yeah. Well, I mean, they always talk about early adopters are the most successful. So that's maybe not the most successful, but you know, it's, it's really interesting. Point yeah. Um, well, that is all we have for today for you, Dr. Rose. I want to thank you very much for joining us here on the Beef Podcast Show. If people want to find you or learn learn more about Trek or your direct to consumer beef business or anything like that, where can they do that? This is your chance to share your social links and stuff like that. Oh yeah. So and we do a horrible job of that at universities, right? Um, so uh, email is always the best way. And so my email is just ryan.rhodes at colostate.edu. Um, I don't know. There's probably, that's probably the best way. I don't know of another. Okay. Yeah. And if people, I'm not going to put a plug for my beef business. So that's okay. <laughs> so if you would like to um, find, learn more about Dr. Rhodes elevation beef, you can find, oh, that, there you go. Uh, you can yeah. find that at elevation beef co at, on Instagram. Are you also on Facebook? Yes. Okay. So you can find Elevation Beef Company on Facebook and Instagram if you're interested in learning more about that. Um, Again, thank you for being here with us and sharing your vast expertise. We've covered a really wide range of topics. So um, I'm excited for our listeners to learn more. Thank you again for joining us. And those of you listening in, please join us next week for more on the Beef Podcast Show. Mm -hmm.